I want to talk to you today about a God for the city. A God for the city. This is a new series. We're starting a new series called In the City for the City. And this series came from an idea that was presented in a, to a group of pastors here in this city that got together a few months ago. And we sat around tables and talked about how we can impact Austin in a greater way. And so one of the, one of the things that was presented was, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we could cause the city of Austin to make sure that we are articulating the same message, no matter what church you go to, no matter who, what fellowship you belong to, no matter what family of believers you belong to, that you could get the concept of what we're trying to do in the city of Austin. If every pastor would be willing to share those ideas. And so this next series is a response to that. And over 100 churches have committed, and I think it will continue to grow, to share on this series, this message, in the city, for the city, uh, before Easter. And along with it goes a challenge to be willing to view our city from a, a new perspective, to be able to look at it in a different way than you might have before. To be willing to consider what God is doing in this city. To consider what he's saying to us as believers. What he's saying to the church at large. What is he doing in Austin? How is he, how is he orchestrating and working together with the people that he's called to reach our city? You understand that part of our, part of our values uh, at One Chapel is being mission-focused. There's essentially three big ideas. One is being presence-based. We believe that Jesus is present in us and with us. It's what causes us to be the light bearers uh, of, the, of, the, of this creation. We bear the light of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so he is present in us. And when we come together like this in a worship service, he is present with us in a special way. We also believe that everything we do as a church is relationally driven. There's nothing that we do that doesn't manifest itself in relationships. All ministry goes through the conduits of relationships. And so relationships are what we're trying to build. They are the tracks of ministry. It is important for you to engage in relationships here at One Chapel. It is not enough. God doesn't want you to just come and sit in a really dirty seat on a sticky floor in a movie theater and that be the end of it and enjoy some nice worship music and hear a message. He wants you to engage with other people. It's the method of discipleship. It is the method of evangelism. It is what we're called to. It's relationally driven. But along with those two things comes this idea that we must maintain our mission. The mission critical element of who we are, what we're doing. The reason that we're here is because we want to enjoy the presence of God, but we must maintain this mission that Christ gave us in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that he's commanded. We're called to this mission because God wants more and more people to experience who he is. Now, you, you, you understand that this means we have to look at our city. We have to take care. We have to take stock of what is in our city, why we're here, what part of the city are we, are we from, how, how, does, how do we interact with the city, what, what is our city makeup, what does it look like? Just this last Friday, I don't know if you saw it in the newspaper, but 
the 2010 census. All the numbers came out. It was really amazing. What it, what it demonstrated is what we already know, that Austin and the state of Texas are growing at an incredible rate. People are coming here to the city of Austin. They're coming to Texas. <laughs> Even though people make fun of it, they're coming even though, even though there's, uh, there's, there are some hang-ups that we as Austinites and, and Texans have, but they're coming here because there's something drawing them. And I happen to believe that it might not just be the economy. I think there may be something else at play. When you look at the statistics, what you see is that Austin itself is becoming larger and more uh, racially and culturally diverse. That's not bad news. That's good news. Because Jesus has it in mind that cultures everywhere, that every person from every culture be able to receive the message of the glorious gospel of Christ. He wants to use everything that we are as a city. If you consider the idea of the city, God's love for cities, I think we have to consider this. This statistic, it's challenging. As of 2007, for the first time in the history of the world, more people now live in cities than in rural areas. Across the globe, people are gathering in cities. They gather together in these villages. They gather together in multiple cultures, and they live together. And I know a lot of you have heard sermons on the evils of the city. Can I just tell you that God loves the city? God has always loved the city. In fact, if you consider the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, what you find is a cultural mandate. It is a mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. Be fruitful and to multiply, and along with that is the idea that we are sub to subdue the earth and to rule over it. We were called to rule and reign over the earth. This is really the, I mean, when you think about being fruitful, multiplying, subduing, and ruling, what we're talking about is establishing places where people live, essentially cities. If you think about the big picture of the Bible, it goes from a garden to a city, the new Jerusalem. God is calling us to understand that he, the creation was his design and his desire and as sin enters into the world, all kinds of terrible things begin to manifest. But make no mistake, his purpose and his desire is to make all things new again. The new city, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, that's what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to all things being made new, including the city of Austin, Texas. There may be a new, a new way for you to think. It may be a a new way for you to see, but all through the scriptures, what you see is that the promised land, when the Israelites were sent from Egypt into the promised land, they were, they were told to begin to establish dwelling places, cities. When you read Hebrews 11.10, you see how Abraham longed for a city that he didn't know about. And what the writer of Hebrews says is he had faith to believe in something he wasn't quite sure of, but he longed for a city, the city of God. If you look at Jesus in Matthew 20, Matthew chapter 4, where you've turned, let's read that, that passage there. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Now, Galilee was an area, it was a district. And so he's going throughout Galilee and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. What an awesome thing to behold. Notice verse 25. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, the ten cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus' ministry was to cities. His, his, his place, uh, his kind of home base of a city was in Capernaum. And that, that, that was a very densely, it was the most densely populated area of Galilee. He made that his home base and then he began to go to other cities and to begin, began to preach. And of course, news of his work spread to these other cities. And that was Jesus' idea in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Are you guys with me? Are you following me? Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you know what Jesus says? Turn over there and let's, let's read it. Turn in your Bible over there. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I was going to quote it, but I'm, I just want to make sure I get exactly right. It says uh, in verse 7, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my, what does that word say? Witnesses. Where? Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' plan was to begin to infiltrate the cities. This city that is your home, Jerusalem, this place that is the place where you're comfortable, you know the culture, but I want you to also leap the cultural wall. I want you to go to the next city over. I want you to go to Judea and Samaria, places that maybe you're not quite as comfortable with, but I'm interested in those, those areas. I'm interested in those regions. And then I, 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 I want you to go, Jesus said, and I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to go to the regions of the earth. I want this to spread from city to city to city. God loves cities. He loves them deeply. Some would say he is a, a city savior or a metropolitan messiah. <laughs> Jesus is interested in our city. I think you inherently sort of understand that. You sort of, you sort of know it, but sometimes it, it buries itself in your subconscious, you get distracted. It's not the first filter sometimes. This weekend, on uh, yesterday, I was, uh, I was watching a basketball game. It was a, a live, live action. I was right there in the gym. A whole bunch of six-year-olds. Our little boy, Ethan, He's playing six-year-old basketball, and it is the craziest thing that you've ever seen. It's like a scrum. You know what a scrum is? Okay, it just, it's just going to go all over the court, and I call it amoeba basketball. And they just kind of run around in a little crowd. There's really, only five, there's really only about five things that you tell kids 
when they're learning how to play basketball, and they're all learning. And so you, you say, play defense, you know, you got to show them how to play defense. Most of them start getting that. Although what happens is you, they, they tell them who their man is. They line them up, and they show them their, their man. So they, two, two lines, and right before each quarter, they say, okay, this is the guy you're guarding right here. And the coaches are there, and they're saying, okay, you see his number, see his face? It's like they never saw him before in their life. Because once the game starts, they're like, where's my guy? I don't know where my guy is. It's, it, they, 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 they get all, all kinds of distractions. They get, I mean, you tell them to pass the ball. The coaches are running around on the court, helping them know what they're supposed to do. Okay, so he's like, pass the ball, pass the ball. You could be standing right there telling them to pass the ball. They're not gonna pass it. All they can see is the basket. It's really funny, and then they're running around, and they all don't know exactly what to do, and some of them, you know, you just, you kind of watch them, and they're like, they get distracted by things in the gym, you know? Um, they're just, they're just kind of looking around. One kid, a couple weeks ago, he just wandered off the edge of the court, because he saw something on a wall that he thought was really cool. When I was watching that yesterday, I was watching them all get distracted with other things. They couldn't focus. They couldn't remember all the things they were supposed to do. I thought of what I was gonna share with you today because I think what happens to us is life happens to us. We lose focus. We, we, miss, we miss out on what Jesus is trying to do in us because we're so distracted by even our own, our own struggles, our own issues. We're distracted by what's going on at work. We're thinking about other things in our family. And it's, it's true, you have to attend to all these things. There's no doubt about it. What I wanna challenge you to do is tend to them through the filter of your mission. Tend to the, the, the issues that you have in your life, to, the, to the, the responsibilities and the stewardship that you have for your job, for your family, for your spouse, for everything that you're doing. You've got to see it. We've got to see it through the lens of your mission. You're not just here to make a better life for yourself. You're here to make a better life for others. And the chief way you do that is introducing them to who Jesus is. So, let's look at three cities in the scripture. Let's look at three cities in the scripture. Let's look at the city of Babel. If you go to Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, all the way to the front of the book, you'll see in Genesis chapter 11 this verse, verse 4. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. And just, just to set it up for you, where we've come from is we've come from the story of creation. People are being fruitful, they're multiplying, but what happens? Sin enters the world and really starts messing things up. And things get so bad in Genesis chapter 6 that God has to start over. If you look at Genesis 5 and 6, it's, it's, it describes all of humanity as every thought that they had was wicked. Every thought and action was evil. Sin had, had, had just corrupted everything so massively that God saw them destroying themselves and he started again and that's when the flood happened. And what he did was he saw one righteous man named Noah and he started again with their family. 
And he and and he he realizes. See, what you have to see is that God knows the destructive nature of sin. He knows how bad it is for you. And he and he saw it, and he saw it happening, and so he starts again with Noah, and Noah then begins to be fruitful again and multiply through his family, and then all the the people of the earth began to congregate, and here they are at the tower of Babel. They're building something, and I want you to see why they do this. They build, they start to build a city. Verse, let's start with verse one. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, and as men moved eastward, they found a plan, a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. See, technology was advancing. They're starting to build things. It's an incredible process. Verse four says, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They were resisting the beginning mandate to not be scattered over the face of the earth. Something happened here where the selfishness and the self-absorption of humanity became so great that God once again intervenes and gives them various languages and so they can't communicate as well as they did. And so they, get, they begin to be set up in pockets. He essentially establishes cities. And what you see here is that, that these people were so self-absorbed, so consumed in themselves, so consumed in making a name for themselves, it's what made them dangerous. They wanted to build something to, to the heavens. As we look at this passage, I think what we see is we see a picture of ourselves. I love Austin. I love the city. When I, my wife and I first began to to think about where we would go to plant a church. She's from New Braunfels, 45 minutes south of here. It was, it was yeah, New Braunfels is a great place. If you've never been to the Schlitterbahn, you need to go. Um, so it's really a wonderful thing. And I looked, I, we, we, we got Austin on our radar screen somewhere through the process, and I could not get another city. I wanted another city. I wanted God to give me another choice. Like a, just, just an option, because I wasn't sure. This seems too easy. Austin's right here. It seems to be a city in need. It seems to be a city where more good churches are, are necessary. Are you sure, God? Is this it? But of course, I was looking at Austin, and of course, it's on num everybody's number one on their list. It's everybody's number one place to build a career. It's a number one place to sort of... Um, make your way through the downturn in the economy. I mean, we've absorbed it relatively well. Uh, it is, it is, let's be honest, the most beautiful part of Texas. <laughs> the hill country is awesome. And this whole process here uh, of, of, of the city being born here and birthed here, um, if you read some of the history, if you go to the capital, it's an incredible place. And you see, you see the beauty of it, you see the wonder of it, you see the people, it's a unique city. It's not really like the rest of Texas. And so there's a sense at which people come to Austin for themselves. There's a sense in which 
the, 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 the beauty of Austin and the diversity of Austin and the culture of Austin draws them. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but Austin does have a little bit of a pride thing about their city. It's like everything is, man, Austin, it's like the coolest, hippest city ever. And whenever you hear, whenever you tell people I'm from Austin, you know what they say? Oh, I've heard that's such an awesome city. <laughs> Don't they? It's really impressive. So, so, so there, is, there, is a, there is two sides to this idea about our city. And I think we're all susceptible to it. And that is, what are we doing here? As believers, as Christians, what are we doing in this city? Is our focus and our tension and all of our energy on making a name for ourselves? Is it, it, is it on making a life for ourselves? It is, is it on just building a career and making things happen for us? Is that what we're doing here? That is not what we're doing here. It's not what we should be doing here as believers. As Christians, we see the city through a different lens. We see the city differently. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to submit to God's purpose for this city? Are we willing to submit to God's purposes for the city? Now you, ha now you have a question, you have to answer it. What is God's purpose for this city? Well, certainly we've talked about the general big purpose, but I think God is doing something pretty dramatic in this city that I want you to, to see and I want you to think about and I want you to meditate on. And I believe that God's bringing, here, bringing people here for a reason. They may think it's the economy, but he has another reason in mind. I think you have to consider and you have to allow yourself to look into, look behind the scenes, look, look behind the curtain of what God is doing. Now, here's what I saw when I came to Austin. It's an amazing place. You have this government city. It's a capital city. That means there's a lot of elements to this city that other cities don't have. There's leadership. There's politics. There is um, a certain understanding of, of of responsibility for the state. That happens here in this city. And you see it. You see leadership in this city. You see um, academics. You look at UT, University of Texas, and all the other uh, academic institutions that are within 90 miles of here. It's a massive group of people. I think the statistic is 150,000 students. Uh, within this 90-mile radius. And it's an incredible opportunity to shape young minds. Academics, education. Then you see the arts, and you see music, and you see creativity. Austin has a lot of artists. It has a lot of creativity that exists in it. And then you see the information technology sector. You see Dell and other companies that have been here. There's a, there's a sense in which the, that information technology is always, always pushing the envelope, always going to the edge, always trying to figure out what is the next thing? What's the next thing that's going to happen in our culture? Everybody's thinking that way. You get those realms, those spheres of influence together in one city, you have an amazing city. You have a city, in my opinion, that is built for training and sending. 
you have a city that has all the components of people learning and experiencing something in the churches that God is growing here. Listen, you've heard me say it. When I first came here, I couldn't find a school to meet in because there was a little church plant there. God has spoken to people. He's drawing people to Austin. He's drawing them here. Then yes, there are tax benefits, and yes, the economy is better than other places, and yes, it is a cool city, but God has something else in mind. We either create a city of Babel where we make a name for ourselves or we agree and submit to the purpose that God has for this city. Austin's redemptive gifts are emerging. The gift of mercy, the gift of reaching out to others. There is something happening here where people are coming to Christ in a way that um, I'm so excited about. I see it happening. I see churches growing. I see our church growing. I see people on the fringe getting attached to their family, to a, a, a body of believers. And the reason that's happening, the reason for that is God wants to mobilize. Everybody say the word, mobilize. He wants us to mobilize. He wants us to see the city the way he sees it. Now let's go see another city, Nineveh. Let's go see the city of Nineveh. Turn in your Bibles to Jonah. Jonah, all the way through deep into the, the Old Testament, you get Isaiah, you get Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Ob, uh, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. I want you to see this city. If Babel was a city gone wrong, then Nineveh is a city turned right. Nineveh is a city turned right, but it wasn't without difficulty. Verse 1 Chapter 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city. Everybody say great city. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This is, this is God. I want you to see what God is doing here. The wickedness of the city of Nineveh was incredible. It was a, it was a horrible, terrible place where they'd perfected idolatry, dishonesty, injustice, violence, unchecked sexuality it was a place that had some serious problems it was, it was a it was an influential city it was 120,000 people probably so biblical scholars think it was a, it was an influencing city it sounds familiar doesn't it with all that you know that goes on in Austin so here it is God's sending Jonah because he wants to preach. He wants to give them one final opportunity before they destroy themselves, before the wickedness overtakes them and they can't hear the message. He's giving them one more opportunity. Verse three says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Fun word to say, Tarshish. Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So you know the story. Most of you probably do. If you don't know the story, let me tell it to you in a shortened version. He tries to run away from the Lord, which is never a good idea. Because he will always catch you. He runs faster than you. So he boards the ship and he goes on the ship and he's running away the opposite direction of Nineveh. And what, ha what happens? A huge storm comes up on this ship. And Jonah knows that he's running away, running away from the Lord. So finally he tells all the guys, he says, okay, the answer is you got to throw me overboard. It's terrible. I'm running away from the Lord. It's God. He's after me. He's chasing me. He's essentially saying my life is misery with God chasing me. 
Might as well just end it now. Just, just it's, an, it's, a, it's an idea that I think we all have to understand is when you fight against the purpose of God, when you fight against what God wants for you, you become miserable. You may think you want what you want. You may think that you want the career that you want. You may think that you want to do the things you want to do, but you're only making yourself more miserable as time goes on. God's purpose is where that fulfillment is. God's plans is where we find that purpose. So he's thrown overboard, and then God sends in the marine reinforcements and a giant fish, a whale. We don't know if it was a whale, but we talk about it as Jonah and the whale. And the whale swallows him, and he's in the belly, deep in the dark belly of the whale, where he has an epiphany. Strange how that works, isn't it? It's like the deepest, darkest place, and that's where you have the epiphany. That's where you realize, oh, this is dumb. What I'm doing is not right. It actually, it describes him as sitting in the belly of the whale, and he says, seaweed is all over my head. He recognizes what he should do, that he should follow what the Lord is asking him to do. So the fish vomits him up on land. <laughs> True. Bible, scripture. And, uh, and, and then, can you imagine what he looked like after that? That was really disgusting. I, I, I hope he took a shower before he got to Nineveh. So anyway, he goes to Nineveh. He gets there. And notice what happens in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oh, aren't you thankful for second chances? Oh, yes. Third chances and fourth chances too. He says, uh, it says here in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. Oh, sorry, wrong, wrong chapter. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Everybody say great city. The great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. So he's going to be there for three days. Now, just, just pause for a second. The reason Jonah did not want to go is because these were the adversaries of Israel. This was, the, this was a group of people that had done bad things to Israel. These weren't the people that he naturally loved. They were people really that he was fine with their wickedness consuming them. He was, a, he was actually a bit angry at them, you might say. He didn't want to go there. And we find out later in the book because he knew what would happen. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. On the, four, on the first day, it says in verse 4, on the first day, everybody say the first day. The first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. In other words, judgment is coming. God is coming. You need to hear me. Listen to me. The Ninevites, notice verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. What? First day. First day he starts saying it, and the Ninevites believe. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth and ashes. You see right after this, you see the king of Nineveh proclaiming the fast, and from top to bottom, the whole city repents. The whole city says, yes, we've been so wicked, we want to follow God. It's an incredible turn of events. And let me tell you, that same thing is ready to happen in the city of Austin. 
It already is happening, I suspect. There is something that's happening, and I think you need to see the city through the lens of God's love for it, that he has people ready. He's working on them already. You don't even know it, but he's navigating and orchestrating and putting pieces together and leading you, if you will follow him, to open up your heart and open up your mouth and speak to people. He's preparing them. There's at least 20,000 people who are ready to come to Christ in this moment if somebody would just share the message with them. you got to see the city like that. You can't see it like Jonah saw it. You can't, you can't see it through the eyes of judgment and, 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 and disrespect. And listen, I, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge us as one chapel that we do not sarcastically refer to this city, the city of weirdness, that we don't make fun of it, that we don't make fun of certain people groups within this city, that we don't sarcastically refer to these or degrade them or somehow insult them with our jokes or, our, or, or, or the way we see things. And I think we need to be careful. We need to be careful about what we say about our city. We need to be careful about the people in our city and how we see them and how we embrace them. Some Christians, so-called, they get legalistic and they get angry and they get frustrated and they see sinfulness and then they're harsh and hard and they have no idea what truth in love is about. And all they do is beat people up. All they do is say foolish things. All they do is insult people. We can't be that kind of, that kind of church. The reputation of one chapel needs to be that is a bunch of people that love, that love one another and love people around them. The Bible says that if we'll love each other, that they'll all figure out that we're his disciples. It's so important for us to understand this, not to let the racial and cultural prejudices that are in our culture, that are in our society, don't let those things be the determining filter for you to see our city. Don't let your socioeconomic level be the filter that you see this city through. There's no doubt that we're, we're going we're gonna to end up engaging deeper and deeper into the city, into the poor, into the poor areas of the city. But we can never see it as uh, uh, we who are sort of um, on the southwest side riding in on our horse and helping people and then riding back to our homes, we're going to have to see the city and embrace it and love them like they are God's children and our family. And for some of you, that's going to be uncomfortable. But here's the thing. I think there's something about being in the city for the city, not in the city for one chapel or in the city for me. In the city for the city is God's desire for that city. I want you to see it through that lens, through that filter. The Apostle Paul, just real quickly, I'll just, I'll just kind of read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I want, you to, I want you to see how he describes this to the Corinthian church, which was a city full of really terrible things going on, so much so that the church was engaging in the immorality, and they were suing one another, and there were, there was these crazy things going on. First, First Corinthians 5, verse 9, 
says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, notice what verse 10 says. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. He says, in that case, you'd have to leave this world. Jesus doesn't want us to be separated from them and never talk to them. He actually wants us to rub shoulders with them. He wants us to rub shoulders with the people in our city. He wants us to be willing to engage them, to see and understand what they're experiencing, what they're going through. It's the paradox of holiness, isn't it? God separates us from the world and then sends us right back into it. God separates us from the world and says, I've chosen you, I've appointed you, I have a purpose for you. I'm gonna separate you from all this life that you've known. Now I want you to understand, I'm making you pure, I'm cleaning you up. Now, ready, here you go, back in. Back into the world. The third city I want you to look at. We've looked at Babel, we've looked at Nineveh. Now I want you to look at the city of Jerusalem a city that Jesus wept over. Luke chapter 19, if you want to turn there. Luke 19 talks about Jesus when he was coming into the city of Jerusalem. Here he's preparing. He's, he's coming in and people are really worshiping him. They're, they're throwing down their coats so he can ride across him on the, on the donkey that he's riding and verse 41 says, as he approached Jerusalem, all this is going on, and people are, are, are yelling and screaming. They're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in the highest and glory in the highest. He approached Jerusalem and saw the city. He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He was so consumed with what was going on in the city, the lack of peace, the sense of lostness, wandering around trying to fill themselves up with something else. And we see it in our city. You can go any number of places. You can go to the corporate side, the corporate culture, and you can see people filling themselves with career climbing and building and they're trying to, trying to get satisfaction out of it. You can go down to 6th Street every weekend and you can see people poisoning themselves and filling themselves with drugs and alcohol and sex. And you can see it. They're trying to, they're really just trying to enjoy themselves. They're just trying to enjoy themselves. There's nothing wrong with that, right? The problem is they don't know the source of joy. You do. We do. I think we have to be willing to weep over the city as Jesus wept. It has to get into us in a greater way. We can't just kind of go through trying to make everything okay for us. There's something that God has planned and a purpose. God loves this city. He loves it so much. He's placed you here for whatever reason, for whatever time period, and you've got to tap into what he's saying about this city. We have to tap into, we are going to tap into what he's saying about this city. The question is, when you look at Austin, so we've looked at Babel, we look at Nineveh, we look at Jerusalem, 
We look at Austin. It's still unwritten. History has not been written for Austin. Some of it has, but we're in the process. We're in Acts 29. Acts only has 28 chapters, for those of you who didn't know. Acts only, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles have 28 chapters. We're writing Acts 29 right now, and we need to think like that. We need to practice that. We need to function that way. I want to lead you to one more passage before, as we close. It's Isaiah 53, and this is descriptive of Jesus. Jesus, it's a prophetic it's a prophetic passage that's talking about the Messiah and how he's coming and how he's going to give up his life and give of himself. Verse 11, if you start there. Earlier in the passage, it's, this is the famous passage where it says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. This is Isaiah 53. And it it describes how he is oppressed and afflicted. How he's crushed for our sakes. And the thing I want you to get is... The New Testament describes us, you and me, as people who receive the goodness and the wonder, the mystery of the gospel of Christ, being made new by the work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And it says this in 1 John, Jesus laid down his life for you. Now you also ought to lay down your lives for one another. We're called to weep over the city. We're called to give our lives for the city. The question is, will we be willing to give ourselves away? Will we be willing to give up? Verse 12 says, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. This is talking about the result of identifying with the wicked. The scriptures teaches that Jesus identified with the wicked. He wasn't deserving, but he identified with him. He embraced, he embraced it says he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. I want you to say that word together. Numbered with the transgressors. Say it one more time. Numbered with the transgressors. That means he became one of them. He did not think it was beneath him to be identified as a sinful man. He was not a sinful man. In fact, he had no sin in him. What I want to challenge you today and what I feel challenged for as the, the pastor of one chapel is that I want to be willing to be so open to give my life away to the point that I'm willing to be numbered with the people of Austin. I'm willing to be one of those people in Austin. To be willing to be numbered with the reputation of Austin, to be willing to number it with the, the reputation of different sectors and cultures here, that I'm embracing it so much so that it is becoming me. I am becoming Austin. Austin is becoming me. We are the city. And even though we have been separated, set apart by God, and we are supposed to engage in his purpose, This is part of his purpose, is to be willing to intermingle, 
to engage, to be numbered with them, to be identified with them. If we'll do that, I think we will weep over the city. I think we will get in touch with what's really happening in the city. We will be willing to engage in a way that God can then pour his spirit out, that he can bless people, and as he's calling them, he's using us to do it. We're calling them out of the darkness and into light. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. I want you to sign up for it. I want you to go with me. Are we willing to be identified with the people of Austin? Are we willing to be numbered with them, lumped in with them? Are we willing to intercede for them? Are we willing to stand in the gap? Are we willing to make intercession for them? Falling in love with the city like Jesus fell in love with his? Will you give your life for the city? I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head. The kind of love that Christ demonstrated for us is the kind of love that I'm describing and that he describes in the Bible that we must have for the people of our city. The love of Christ comes into our life and then we begin to love people like he does.